Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're beginning our next book study. We just finished the book of 1 Peter, and we are going to begin in the Gospel according to St. Luke. And so this will be a lengthy study uh, for one reason. Luke is so detailed uh, that his Gospel is actually the longest of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also... Um, Luke's just a really long book anyways, uh, and so this this is going to be uh, a long study, I'm sure. But um, we're going to begin, and I really, because of my time constraints, I, I'm really just going to jump right in and begin to read to you uh, my sermon notes from when we were going over this at Cedar Shoals Baptist Church. So the Bible says this, Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as you have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, inasmuch as many have taken, sorry, not you. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty or the exact truth of those things in which you were instructed. Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, the gospel according to St. Luke. And this morning we're going to specifically look at the facts of our faith. Now, we live in a world of skepticism. From atheism to agnosticism and then to their eventual endpoint to nihilism. Supposed science, in quotes, has disposed of the need for God, or so they think. The Bible is filled with errors, according to this crowd, and religion, as Karl Marx said, is the opiate of the people. But is this factual? Not by a long shot. The facts are that no other religion has more support from history and archaeology than that of Christianity. Several examples come to mind. We have more copies dating back thousands of years of Scripture than we do of anything the Greek philosopher Aristotle ever wrote, or Socrates or Plato or any of those guys. To date, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled some hundreds, some thousands of years later in the life of Jesus Christ, and that has been verified by archaeology. What I mean is the things the Old Testament said about the Messiah, uh, so far over 300 of them were or have been fulfilled in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Now, to give you an idea of the chances, because the skeptic says, well, you know, chance, man, chance, not hardly. World-renowned mathematician Professor Peter Stoner worked out the math to determine the chances of just eight of these being fulfilled, much less over 300. The chances of just eight of these being filled, the numbers came down to one in 100 quadrillion. 
one in 100 quadrillion. That's for eight, and Jesus' life, as verified by archaeology, has fulfilled over 300 of them. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Just simply looking at the math. Now I'm moving on, but uh, now consider that over 300 have come true. Moreover, what are the other major world religions? How are they verified or nullified by the historical record? Well, uh, the first one is Islam. The Quran states that Jesus of Nazareth was never crucified. The Bible says that he was. Well, through historical and archaeological discovery, who's right? Well, it's now a known, undeniable fact, even outside the Bible, just, just from secular history and archaeology, that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. The Koran has been proven false by history itself. It contains historical error. And that's just one example of many. Um, here's another one. For years, secularist historians said that Pilate was a myth, that there was no governor named Pontius Pilate in the early Roman uh, era in the first century in the Middle East. Well, Archaeologists found the Pilate stone dated back to that time and inscribed upon it was Pilate's name and record as governor. Uh, Pliny the Younger, Josephus, and others, ancient historians, all confirmed the biblical record. Once again, atheist zero, Christianity too. And so I'll give you one more example. For years... Secularist suggested that the Hittites of the Old Testament was a myth. There was no such thing as the Hittites. Well, that held pretty good water until 1906 when archaeologists in modern Turkey found manuscripts and evidence of the Hittite of an ancient Hittite city and not only in its remnants but the manuscripts they found described the culture and everything those manuscripts that by the way were thousands of years old everything they described about the Hittite culture corresponded with what the Bible teaches about the Hittite culture 100% no saved rounds or alibis 100 letter for letter you say, well, that's just a chance. Okay. I could go on, but for the sake of time, I will say this. The Christian faith, unlike any other religion in the world, can be and has been proven time and time again by historical and archaeological research. Simply put, our faith is based on facts. Now, faith in and of itself is not developed through facts because if that were the case, there would be no atheist and everybody would be a Christian. Faith is a gift from God. However, we do know uh, that many see and hear these facts and it bolsters their faith. It, 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 it builds their faith. And yet many other look at the same facts and remain skeptics. Why is that? Because faith is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. The human mind can discern information, but only the Holy Spirit can bring life-giving illumination. 
Yet these facts can and should be seen to bolster the struggling faith of somebody who is having serious doubts of a Christian, but also can be used for evangelistic purposes in witnessing to a lost person. Now, I can tell you the latter, or the former rather, from personal experience. When I was in seminary um, the first time, when I was uh, pursuing a Master of Arts in Systematic Theology from Liberty University, I went through a time of hardcore doubts. I mean scary doubts. I didn't just doubt if all this Jesus stuff was real. I began to doubt if God even existed. I mean, it was a dark night of the soul. But when I examined the facts of our faith, it bolstered my faith. It didn't give me faith because I already had faith, even though it was quite literally the grain of a mustard seed. But it bolstered it. And so we're going to see today, we're going to examine the most detailed scholarly ancient account of the life of Jesus. It is the gospel according to St. Luke, the facts of our faith. Now, I know you're going to hear that and say, well, what makes Luke a scholar? Well, I will explain all that as we go, but before we do, I need to give you the outline for your benefit, not mine. First of all, I'm going to introduce you to Luke's person, okay, the author of the book. Secondly, I'm going to introduce you to Luke's research, how he wrote the book. Thirdly, I'm going to introduce you or give you Luke's reasoning, why he wrote the book. And then finally, Luke's recipient. To whom did he write the book in the first place? His person, the author of the book, his research, how he wrote the book, his reasoning, why he wrote the book, his recipient, who he wrote the book to. Who, how, why, and who again, so to speak. So let's begin with number one. Luke, the person, the author of the book. Luke begins with a prologue in the book of Luke, and he addresses what he's going to say, how he got his information, to whom he is writing to, and finally he says why he's writing in the first place. This was common among the ancient writers, and we must note um, that it was common among the ancient writers of, of a scholarly uh, level that they would dedicate their work to a well-known famous person. That tells us a little bit about Theophilus, that he had to be a person of wealth uh, or a person of esteem. Uh, we know he was a Gentile, uh, and so he had to hold some some water in Gentile society uh, So at that time. Now, but before I get into that, we need to introduce Luke. We know that Luke was scholarly and educated because the first four sentences, or excuse me, four verses that I just read to you, in Greek, it's one sentence. Just one sentence. Not only that, it is the highest, most uh, refined, most grammatically correct Greek in all of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament, in fact, pretty much you could say the rest of the New Testament, was written in Koine Greek, common man's Greek, street Greek, what they spoke on the streets. Luke has a mastery of the Greek language that I'm, I'm telling you now on the authority of history the common man did not have. And so Luke had to be very educated. Secondly, Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile. 
He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And that's going to play a part in his work as we consider. And then thirdly, we know that we can support this theory that he was educated because Paul said in Colossians 4 that Luke was a physician, a doctor. And though far more primitive than today, in Luke's day, doctors required expansive education, extensive education, just like they do today. Um, again, far more primitive, but the principle's the same. Luke was no dummy. Luke was smart. Luke was a scholar. In fact, this is interesting. Even some of the secular historic, uh, historical researchers consider Luke to be up there with the secular ancient historians such as Pliny the Younger, Ramses, and Josephus. Even though Luke was a Christian, and we know, we know if there's one thing academia hates is Christians, but they, they just have to admit that Luke's records, Luke's details, Luke's uh, mastery of high Greek, they, they just can't deny it. Even the most hardcore atheist uh, historical scholar in any liberal college or university in the country, they have to admit, and many of them have, that Luke's up there as far as the ancient writers. So that's Luke, the author of the book, Luke's person. But not only Luke's person, but I want you to note Luke's research. Luke's research, how he wrote the book. This comes to us in verses 1 and 2. Like any good historian, research requires sources. Now, what were the sources Luke used? Note first that Luke recounts written sources. He claims that at the time of his writing, many have taken in hand, past tense by the way, past tense, to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Well, clearly that he's referring to Mark, whom we believe to be the oldest. Some people believe Matthew's the oldest. I, t I totally disagree with that, and I don't have time to get into that now. But by the time Luke wrote his gospel, Mark was already in circulation. Mark had already been completed. Uh, he was using Mark as a source. Mark had set in order. In other words, he had wrote down the narrative. What narrative? You know what the word narrative means? It means a story, the story of the things which have been fulfilled. What things? The things about Jesus Christ, who he was, where he came from, what he did, etc., etc., blase, blase. And so Luke has this written source. Now, um, some say, well, Luke might have had a written copy of Matthew, too. I'm not going to get into that. I, I don't think Luke uh, Matthew was as old as Mark, um, but maybe, maybe. And then finally, some have suggested that he also had this anonymous source that we learned about. Uh, I remember my freshman year of college at Spartanburg Methodist College, which which radically liberal institution, but uh, I'm so thankful for that because I got to see both sides of all these debates because I later went on to more conservative institutions. But all that to say, they we were taught about the Q source, the Q source. It's this anonymous source that all the writers apparently had access to. Well, I want to give you a quote from a late Baptist minister, H.H. H. Hobbs, but H.H. H. Hobbs was not just a run-of-the-mill preacher. He was also a pretty renowned Bible scholar. 
and he served as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention from 61 to 63. Here's what he suggests. Most likely, these narratives that Luke's talking about include the Logia of Jesus, a Hebrew Aramaic work attributed by Papias to Matthew. This dealt with the teachings of Jesus and is reflected in both Matthew and Luke, yet not only did he use written resources, but or as well. And so H.H. Uh, Hobbes, who I, who I have a lot of respect for, was of the same opinion uh, that there was some written sources, but also the book of Mark. And so Luke, like any good researcher, gets some sources. But not only written sources, but oral resources. Look at verse 2. It says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. This is clearly a reference to the apostles. The apostles were eyewitnesses, and they were ministers of the word. They were the original, uh, if you will, the first New Testament preachers, though I realize John the Baptist was really the first New Testament preacher, but outside John the Baptist, the beginning of the apostolic era, this what he's describing is the eyewitness, the verbal account from the mouth of the apostles themselves to whom Luke at least had to know Peter because Peter was around when Paul got his start and Luke was an assistant to Paul. And so we have every reason to believe that, that at, maybe more, okay, I'm not going to debate that, but at least Peter, okay. And so we also believe and and I'm this is the theory. I, I can't prove this to you with the Bible, so to speak. Well, yeah, maybe I can actually. Um, Luke, uh, according to history, interviewed Mary as well. He went to the mother of Jesus, which makes sense because when Luke gives the birth narratives, he includes details that nobody else did, um, that that would have only been known to Mary and Joseph. So. All that to say this, we see Luke's research, how he wrote the book in verses 1 and 2. He got some good written sources and some good oral sources. And unfortunately, I've just looked at the clock, and that's about all I have time for today. And so I hope I've just garnered your appetite enough to see that you'll continue to study. So we dealt with the first two verses of Luke chapter 1, and we'll deal with the second two next time we're together. And so as always, um, I'm not preaching these messages extemporaneously. I'm taking my manuscripts from my actual pulpit ministry as senior pastor at Cedar Shoals Baptist Church, and then I just simply read the manuscript in shorthand to our audience so that you can follow along with us for the purpose of um, of engaging you in, in true expositional Bible study, verse by verse, book by book, without skipping. As I like to say, we don't even skip a comma. And so I hope this has been a blessing to you. Keep studying, and God bless.